What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook. And this week, I'm back with another inspiring, real Wellpreneur interview for you. This week, I'm speaking with Susie Haightley. But I want to give you a little update of what's going on over here at Wellpreneur HQ. As I'm sure you've picked up on, my work is really shifting towards connecting with the seasons and using this connection with nature around us and the seasonal rhythms and just the natural cycles of the world to make our life and work easier. So this spring, I ran the very first beta version of a brand new program called Alchemy and Action. It was fantastic. I had 30 women participate in this program, and over four weeks, we really deeply connected with the energy of spring. Now, spring is all about rebirth and renewal and making space, and we explored these topics together through rituals and remedies and aligned action to really bring ease and flow into our lives and work. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, as you know, if you've been around the community, I really advocate trying a program, right? Give it a try. Take the pressure off, see how it goes, and then decide if you want to include it in your work going forward. And I can tell you from the second week of Alchemy in Action, I just knew this was it. This is the direction my work needs to go, and I'm going to turn this into a bigger part of my offerings going forward. So now it's almost time for summer. And so I'm just putting the final touches on Alchemy and Action Summer Edition, and I'd love to invite you to join us for it. We start on Monday, June 3rd, 2019. If you'd like to learn more about the program and then, of course, sign up, you can do that at amandacook.me slash summer, amandacook.me slash summer. Here's the thing is that for most of the time of the 200,000 years humans have been on Earth, We've lived in sync with the seasons, and it's just now in the past 140 years or so that we've totally gone in a different direction. And so when you start to connect yourself to the seasons, and I don't mean you don't have to hug a tree, you don't have to start wearing purple robes and like chanting, it's none of that. It's doing things like noticing what's around you, creating an intention space in your house, starting to bring in natural elements that remind you of the seasons aligning yourself with the natural energies. So maybe being more outgoing and energetic in summer and turning to more introspective and nourishing tasks in the winter. Simple things like these really align you with the natural energies and make your life and work feel easier. So as I was collecting feedback from some of the 30 women that went through the first course, I was really struck by a few of the stories. There was Tasha, who is just coming out of her maternity leave after having a baby. And she's trying to find herself again, get back to herself and her practices. And through Alchemy in Action, she really like, she actually decluttered her whole closet. She started carving out a little intention space for herself. She revisited her routines to get back into work. I should say her rituals, turned her routines into rituals to get back into working more easily and more in the flow. Mariko said that this program gave me the nudge to finally do things I've always wanted. 
like create a sacred space in my house and experiment with rituals. It's really one of the keys to grow myself and my business in an organic and holistic way. Liza said that alchemy in action was the perfect next step in her spiritual journey. I already knew on a deep level that accessing my inner wisdom was important, and Amanda introduced rituals and actions in areas I've been considering but held back in until now. Dawn says that her mind and her house are much less muddled and cluttered. And Shauna really touched me with her story because she said she used to be quite religious and practiced religious rituals for over 30 years, but then 15 years ago walked away from it because it didn't really support her values anymore. And she didn't realize until this course how much she got out of having a ritual. She said, learning new ideas for rituals that support my intentions is really one of the most rewarding things I've learned in a long time. I recommend this program to people who are struggling to find their niche in their work or who are having difficulty accessing their creative mind and to people who are open to creating a new routine or ritual for themselves. It helps you refocus your work on your most important values and really helps you tap into your creativity. So summer, right? Summer is all about growth and creativity and joy and pleasure. That's the energy of summer. It's really the time to get out there and be, it's like an external connecting energy in the world. It's such an exciting time and it only happens once per year. Each season has a unique energy that you can tap into. So for this summer, I'd love you to tap into your creativity, personal growth, joy, pleasure with us as we create rituals and remedies to support what you want to create in the world. You can learn more and join us at amandacook.me slash summer. I'd love to have you be part of the program. Now, turning back to our Real Wellpreneur interview with Susie Haitley, I think you're really going to enjoy this because we're talking about burnout, how Susie developed her business, and also, and this is really interesting, how her business has changed since having twins and how she manages to get it all done, working from six to 12, four days a week. I think you're really gonna like it. So here is our Real Wellpreneur interview with Susie Haley. Hi, Susie, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Amanda. This is terrific. I always like to start off by asking if you can describe, like, how do you explain what it is that you do? So I actually work with two groups of people. One group is I work a lot with um, entrepreneurs and executives who have really worked really hard at what they've done to get the success they've had, but in the process, they've burnt themselves out. So I help them rechannel that energy. So the, the drive and the ambition that got themselves into trouble, it's just a matter of rechanneling that energy to support them, to make it highly creative and supportive for them. And then I also train other healthcare professionals and yoga teachers in what it is that I do so that they can go and help the people that they want to help. So take us back to how you got started doing this. How long have you been teaching yoga and when did, what, what was your path to get there? Well, I started teaching yoga in 1999. So it's been a while now. And I, I kind of fell into yoga happenstance. I had pain myself. I had just graduated from university. I'd been an, an athlete through my teenage years and I just, you know, got the bumps and the bruises that typically happen. And that just led into a lot of persistent pain. And interestingly enough, I was working at a chronic pain center with my background that I had. And so I was, it was sort of an interesting world. And my roommates had said, you know, you really should try yoga. And I'm thinking, ah, yoga, that's so weird. I'm not going to do that. Anyway, I did it. And I had one of those light bulb moments of, ha, I've come upon something. And even though it was so weird. And, and then I started to apply what I learned with the patients in the clinic, they started to get better faster. 
But interestingly enough, even though I knew I had tapped into something, I couldn't find any way to make money because back then yoga teachers just weren't making a living. And so I didn't see any role model or any way. And I kept doing what I was doing. And I did some other work within the industry of rehabilitation. And I just kept doing yoga and it kept kind of whispering in my ear. And then a few things just kind of happened in life. And I found myself teaching classes. (laughs) It sounds kind of crazy, but it was really that organic. And then I came across a fellow out of India who was a medical doctor and was teaching the kinesiology of yoga, which is what my background's in is biomechanics and exercise physiology and kinesiology. And he was teaching a, a training that he was in Canada and where I live. And then I decided I'm going to work with that guy. And so I went and spent some time in India with him. And then I, when I came back, I got fully in it. And then I think probably because of my background being somewhat in the anatomical, grounded, physical reality of exercise physiology and, and those types of sciences, plus I coupled it with yoga, lots of healthcare professionals started to pick up on what I was doing and saw me as credible. And it just, it just sort of, sort of steamrolled from there is, is it just it just grew mm-hmm. from early 2000s to now. I think it's so interesting when I listen to your story and you know I've heard this seen this kind of trend with other successful wellness entrepreneurs is sometimes things just flow like you didn't necessarily plan the trajectory of how you'd get to where you are today but yet it works out. And I I know I see so many people that like we just want to be successful so bad and you like push and push and try and struggle and like all of this. But looking back now, it looks like you just kind of flowed to where you're supposed to be now. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that struggle and flow in business? I think there's a few things. The first is I fundamentally cared. And I, and if I have one of those a great characteristics, but also characteristics that can get in the way is that I really care. And sometimes and in the past, I've had situations where I cared too much. And in caring, though, the good side of it is that I really wanted people to be successful under my care. And so as an example, one of the first studios I worked at, they ran registered classes. And so you register for eight weeks. And my classes were quite popular and people would then call in for the next session. Well, what ended up happening is the people in the current session wouldn't get a spot in the next session. And they'd say, Susie, your class is already full and Phil, I can't get in to see you. And when I left that studio and started opening up spaces on my own, I've decided that I was always going to provide my current students first right of registration. And so I, I also did registered classes. I didn't do drop-in classes. And so I would say to people, okay, let me know if you want to come to the next session because someone has called in and they want to come into the session. And so inadvertently, I, that, this was only because I cared, but inadvertently what I did, what I was doing is to the current people in the class, they were thinking, oh, she must be really good. if <laughs> She's got people calling and they want to get in. And the people who were calling in were thinking, oh my gosh, she must be really good. She's already full. And as a result, I created a wait list in it. Like after I left that studio, I created a wait list in like less than four months. And it was a wait list that was an eight month long wait list to get into a class all because I simply cared, right? It wasn't a business modeling plan. It became a plan, but only out of this heartfelt desire to, if people really want to work with me, then I want to really work with them. And I'm going to do everything in my power to help them get it and to help help them succeed. And that's the way it took off. Did you have a vision for like <laughs> getting to where you are today? <laughs> no, not at all. No, I can actually honestly say no, because I'm, 
I never thought I would train teachers. I never thought I would train healthcare professionals. I run a certification program now. I I remember saying to people who said, Susie, you need to do a certification program. I would say, no, it's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> so there's a number of things that I, I actually have to be careful when I hear myself saying, I am never going to do that because that's usually an indication that I will likely do it. But yeah, no, it's funny. It's sort of, there needs to be some clarity around what you're doing. And so I had clarity around helping people get better. And I had clarity around, for the most part, how I wanted to do it. But there's so many things I find that when you have that kind of clarity, then providence moves too. And things that you wouldn't have ever expected show up in your path. And it sounds a little bit woohoo for sure, but it's what happens. It, it's, and you can say no or yes to them as they come, but they come when there's a, a commitment and a clarity to a craft, I think is probably the way I would say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've experienced that myself too. Once I get into alignment and I like decide and take a step in that direction, opportunities just start presenting themselves. It's amazing. You can't, can't really force it. So I know one issue that you're really passionate about, and I, I know this is so relevant for so many listeners, is burnout. And, you know, as we're chasing our dreams and trying to bring this stuff into being and create a successful business, letting ourselves fall, forgetting about ourselves, letting ourselves fall to the wayside. Yeah. What's been your experience with burnout? So I've had one specific episode early on where I was teaching. Oh, goodness. I can't remember how many classes a week I was teaching and doing some private sessions and and taking on every opportunity that came my way. Right. I was I was young and I was passionate and I was just I realized I was onto something. I realized that I had something that people needed. And, and so I just wanted to keep teaching it and teaching it. And then I uh, started to get really tired. And then what I did is I peeled everything back and slept a lot. And there wasn't any medical diagnosis. I just was sort of, I just, I was just dragging my, my toes quite a bit. So I, I, I pulled everything back and I, and I, I sat back and I went, okay, what do I really want to do here? And how do I really want to do it? So it was after that initial wave. So I, I have a, I understood that my drive and my ambition that was, that was what was so successful in my athletic time when I was a teenager was also serving me and growing my business. However, it was also uh, pushing me into a very depleted state. So it's interesting that I've seen a lot of my a higher successful executive, like a C-suite executive or an entrepreneur who's done the same thing where they've, they've learned how to pick them up, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and carry on. And, and the people that I see, they've had like, you know, just, just life, you know, one thing after another thing, after another thing, and they just know how to pick themselves up and go. And they're not really interested in mediocrity. And I know one fellow, he says, you know, I don't even really think stress exists. I think stress is an excuse for people not to do stuff. So there's that element, right? And we all know people who are like that. And so what I teach them is I say, you know, your ambition and your drive is exactly what you need, but it's how you're using it that's actually not helping you succeed at all. And then they start to learn through the process that how they utilize that energy, how any of us use our creative energy will either sink us or it will become a secret weapon. And I know that's not necessarily the greatest term, but it's like a secret weapon for leadership or a secret weapon for success. And it's it's a way of paying attention to what are what I call the yellow lights or the whispers. So if you're feeling like you're getting really depleted and drained, that's like a red light or a, or a scream in your body saying like something's up here. And so when you start to listen to the whispers so you don't have to hear the screams, when you can listen to the yellow lights, 
so that you don't have to experience the red lights. Then you're able to intervene and make changes. You can learn how to, okay, do I push right now? If I do push right now, I know I'm a bit depleted, but if I do push right now, how do I take care of myself later? So I'm not an advocate of not pushing and not like doing the grunt when you have to do the grunt. It's recognizing that you're actually doing that and then taking yourself, taking care of yourself later. So what are some of those whispers for some people that aren't maybe as tuned into their body as others? I think a a few things is if you find yourself craving coffee a lot more, if you find yourself craving sugar a lot more, if you, if you, I find some people, the, um, there's a lot of talk about bulletproof coffee and putting oil in coffee, which I'm, I'm not against at all. I think it can be a great stimulus and a great way of supporting someone. It's when we start to use them as a crutch. So if you start to like, you always have to have this thing in order to get going, then that's an indication that maybe something is up. Or if you're finding that you're just, you know, you're peeling your face off the, the pillow to get up in the morning and it's, it's like, oh my gosh, I just can't get going. That's a, that's a pretty good sign. Another way of looking at this is, is something that Dr. Claudia Welch, she's an Ayurvedic practitioner. She talks about something called the bucket syndrome. And I really love the analogy because the way I've interpreted what she says is that we've got two buckets and one bucket is real energy. And the second bucket is more adrenalized energy. And when our real energy goes, starts to go down, then we start to move into adrenalized or what I like to call fake energy. And we often support that adrenalized energy with things, different stimulants. So whether it's coffee or sugar or overeating or alcohol or, you know, fill in the blank. You can fill in any sugar substitute. You can fill in anything that is uh, providing extra support there. And the more you drain that adrenal energy, then you start to pull from your hormonal energy, which is also really interesting because there are people who can have hormonal imbalances, but in fact, it's not necessarily the hormonal imbalance that's the problem. It's the fact that we're so exhausted. And so it's just a result of stuff as opposed to the thing. Now, I, I realize I'm, I'm, this is not the case for everybody, but it's a very interesting cycle that I've seen a lot of women particularly gain, get their hormones back in balance when they've actually resolved the issue around fatigue and energy management. I'm curious because I think a lot of that, once you start to get those warning signs and you realize, oh, you know, I am, there's yellow lights. I really need to slow down and take care of myself before it goes into the red. I'm curious for you, what does that look like for you? What's some kind of the self-care and nurturing and, and slowing down that you practice? Because I know you have two young twins at home too. So it's not like you live in a totally zen out peaceful place <laughs> all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, my twins are two years old. And when they were, when we were about to give birth to them, I knew that being a business owner Being in Canada, we've got a great thing called maternity leave that you get paid out for a year if you're an employee of a company. But when you're self-employed, you don't have that. So I knew that in order to keep my business rolling, in order to keep money coming in, I was going to have to do some work. And I also wanted to be a great mom to my kids. And it was that typical balance. And I thought to myself, okay, what is like, what is the one thing that I can do each day that's going to help me keep the wheels on the bus, take the care of my kids and, and move me forward? And so that was... That, and that was inspired by a book I read called Essentialism by Greg McCowan. It's a fantastic book. And I think I read that book like a thousand times and listened to it multiple times when I was pushing the stroller. And it just reminded me, it's like, okay, what's, the, what, what's one thing that will, that will enable me to go deep and really make the, the difference I want to make? And so I, I recognize that there's, there's, 
that period of time, particularly that first six months, that I was good, I was going to be tired. I was going to be recovering from having given birth. I was becoming a mom for the first time. Like there was a lot happening. And so I just recognized I can't do it all. So what can I do? And what's the most impactful thing that I can do in order to make it, make it work? So that was the sort of the step that was very thoughtful of, of how I did that. And then as I've kept going on, what's interesting is that I still want to be a great mom. I still want to make the difference I want to make in my business. I still want to do it feeling good and not being exhausted. But there are times, there are times when, you know, they, they've been great sleepers and they're great kids, but there are times when they do not sleep through the night. There are times when, you know, they're upset and there are times like there's stuff, life happens. And when I, when that starts to happen, when I start to feel myself getting really tired, I simplify as much as I can. So I simplify my eating. I take food that's very easy to digest. I take more naps. Like I nap when they nap. I go to bed a lot earlier in the night. And I just recognize that it's not that I've prioritized. It's not that word. It's more that I have a sense of what is important and what's not important and what's crucial or what's urgent. And I've just stuck with, okay, I'm going to go to bed at eight tonight because I have to. And as a result of that, in that way of that thinking, there's a lot of riffraff and a lot of unimportant things that have just gone to the wayside. So it's, my life has become just a lot more um, honed. And I will say that some people might be listening and thinking, there's no way they can do this. And the truth is it's taken time. So it started off, it started off really before my kids got, were born. And I was thinking, okay, what's this one thing? And then as the years, the two years have gone on, because they're turning two in March, it's, I've just refined it more and more and more and more. And I've just kept at it because I do want, like I do, the business is important to me. My kids are super important to me. My relationship to my husband's important to me. So it's, it, that's, that's a piece that's really vital. One more book I suggest that I, I recently read is The One Thing by Gary Keller. That's another really great tool because he's got this fantastic question, which says this, what is the one thing that if done would make everything easier or unnecessary? And that's a powerful question to sit back and really ponder. And if you start to chip away at that, you'll start to see how your life can become a lot more in flow and a lot simpler, even when you've got the craziness that sometimes life can throw you. Mm-hmm. I love both of those books. So I'll definitely list those in the show notes so people can can get to those because both The One Thing and Essentialism were really thought-provoking. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned those. I'm curious these days what your work schedule looks like because I, I know as we were chatting before, you were saying that you're a morning person, so you're up early and working and then you stop at noon. So tell us, mm-hmm. tell us your schedule. So pretty much the way that I work is I've always been a morning person. And so I was hoping beyond hope that when my kids were born, that they would agree with that, that their temperament and their personality would be good with that. And the way they slept would be good with that. And so it turned out that it worked. And so I sometimes get up at four or five in the morning, depending on the day. I actually don't wake up with an alarm. So I let myself get up and then I have a bit of a morning routine and then I get to work by six. And then I'm at work from six until 12. And so I get six hours in and I, I typically work a four day week. And there might be a little bit of stuff I have to do on the weekend, which might be like a half an hour here or a half an hour there, but it's not a lot. Like it's, I, I, I really have focused in and honed in on that four days. And then after 12, then I'm with my kids and it just works out really, really nicely. Every so often I might do a podcast 
with a presenter who's in Australia. And so then I need to do something at five, but that's on the, uh, it's on the odd occasion. So I share that because it's not a um, set in stone. The work time is set. It's like, that's when it's the work, work happens. And then if there's something that needs to shift or mingle, then we add that in. And then I do run trainings. I run a few trainings for teachers and healthcare professionals and uh, about six or eight times a year. And so then I'll be working more than that. Like I'll work a, an eight to five sort of day. But other than that, that's uh, my, mm. my typical day is um, Monday to Friday. I'm sorry, Monday to Thursday, six to noon is the work time. And then my Fridays are what my husband and I sort of jokingly call my executive board day. Because those, that's the, my board meeting with my two most important board members, which are my children. And so we always have a, have a something that we go off and do. So where I live, there's lots of snow. So we often go cross-country skiing or we'll go out for like a, what we call a hike, which is pushing our chariot along pathways. <laughs> but yeah, so we always make Fridays a day when we're, when we're all together. Did you always have that schedule or is that a new thing since you had your children? No, that was, that's definitely a new thing since I had my kids. Before I had my kids, I worked more like a sort of a eight-ish to four-ish type of, type of day. It wasn't as structured, I would say, before I had my kids, but I have always been a morning person. So if there was something that I had to get done and I needed to not have distraction, then I would get up earlier before at that time before my husband got up and then I would get that done before email came in and before all the other stuff happened. But I have to say it's, I love what I've been able to create. And I, I want to emphasize, it's been something that I've just, I, I figured out. It wasn't like I landed on it. Went early on with my kids. I, uh, I, I like I said, I did one thing. <laughs> so I found whatever time of the day where I wasn't sleeping or I wasn't breastfeeding or I wasn't doing something like that to take care of the kids. I just found that time to do it. And it may have been being on the phone with my assistant or whatever it was, but this is, he, this is, he evolved over mm-hmm. a period of time. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to know. It didn't just land and say, kaboom, here it is. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. And the reason I was asking is because I believe it's completely possible to structure your work week like that, you know, four days a week. So I tend to do four days a week. Um, and I take Fridays as creative Fridays or artist dates, like the Julia in Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, to just kind of refill the creative well. And sometimes people will, you know, if I talk about that with people, they'll say, oh, well, that's nice for you because fill in the blank, whatever they think the reason is, you know, oh, because you're at a certain level or, you, you know, you don't have kids or whatever it is. And I actually, so the reason I wanted to ask you is because I really believe that we can all consciously start to choose to design our lives more in a way that works for us. And so I was really curious, like making that shift from working more five days a week to going four days a week in the morning, if suddenly you had those fears come up, like, this isn't going to work, or there's not going to be enough time, or like, did you have anything like that when you were making the transition? Or did you feel pretty good about it? There are times where I did wonder, I'm sure there were times and I'm viscerally remembering there were times and I, you know what? I just keep coming back to the one thing I keep coming back to what's essential. There's, you know, for a long time, I have not believed in the notion of work-life balance. I think it's a, a faulty paradigm because I am the same person in every aspect of my life. I am the me that I am the me, whether I am at work, whether I'm doing my yoga practice personally, whether I'm out doing my grocery shopping, I'm the the hub and all of that is me. And so how do I want to live? 
And so because I'm in a situation where I'm not an employee of a company where I'm, I'm dictated about when I have to work because I've got the freedom to be able to choose that. It's like, okay, so then what, how is it that I want this to be like, this is it. So how do I want it to go? And then, then as a result, it becomes a lot calmer, a lot steadier, a lot clearer. I don't race after every opportunity. I sit back and I really ponder, okay, is this really a part of the picture? And so there's a certain commitment that you need if you want this. And I think the reason why I was able to create it after my kids were born is because I want to be the very best mom that I want to be. And I know every other woman out there wants to be the very best mom she wants to be too. So I'm not saying that that's not what they want. It's more that there was a certain thing I was really wanting and really committed to. And I didn't want my work to take over that. And yet I have a deep, deep passion for the work that I do. And so it wasn't a matter of a tug. It was a matter of how do I want to make this work? And so when, when there were, when there were feelings that I may have had around, how am I going to get all done? Or, or then I paid attention. Those, those were my whispers, right? I paid attention to them and thought and and would say, okay, so do I need to morph this or do I need an extra bit of help? Or is there, is there, is there somewhere that I can talk to my husband about this? Or so my husband and I, we've actually, we work well together. He's got his own, his own business as well. And we just play off each other and talk a lot about schedules and structure. And if something is up, like if I have to do a podcast at 5 PM, it's how do we make that work? And so there's this back and forth between the two of us. We both have a schedule, but there's also a flexibility in it because we both know what it is that we want. So I think as I'm talking that, that's more of a thinking out loud response as I, as I remember back a little bit, because some of that memory is a bit foggy, but I would say to the point where we're at today, he and I, we just talk a lot about, okay, what's coming up and what support do you need and what support do you need? And you know, and, and there's that consistency that's there that we've, we've built and we've grown together to make that happen. Yeah. I think that's the best, the best way. And so it's taken work to do that. So you have to, you have to work at this. You have to work at easefulness. (laughs) You have to work, you have to work at having the freedom and the joy that you want. It just doesn't like there's, there's structure to it, I think is the best way of saying it. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide, like you said, you made a decision because of your priorities that that's what you wanted. And then you just like experiments, you just keep trying things and see what's working to get you in that direction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you, you keep doing more of what's working and you quiet the stuff that's not working. Mm -hmm. And then you see what then evolves from there. And, and, and the lovely thing is with kids and that everything keeps changing. We we don't, it's like not even with kids, it's life, everything you get into a, a, a rhythm and then something changes and kind of throws the rhythm off. But it doesn't mean that the, the, the big rocks get thrown off. It just means mm-hmm. the smaller rocks are the sand, like in that, that parable around the rocks, the sand, the water. Mm-hmm. Like the, the smaller stuff gets a little shifted up, but you can do it because you fundamentally know what it is that you, that you want that's deep in your core and in your spirit. What does freedom look like for you? Freedom is having a congruity between my inside and my outside so that there's not a disparity between the two. And when there is a disparity between say something that my soul is kind of tugging at me for, or my spirit sort of tugging at me for, if there's a disparity to pay attention to that. And there's certainly been times in my past where I didn't necessarily pay attention to it. And that led down to that burnout that I explained earlier. 
there's, there's signals along the way to let you know that if you keep doing what you're doing, something's going to happen that might not be pleasant. And so the freedom is just, is recognizing and feeling into that and then consistently making the shifts and the changes and shifting course as you need to, to, to remain in that connected place. Mm. Oh, great answer. Thank you. If you could go back to when you were first starting your business and give yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself? To do what you're doing. There were so many things that I was naive about back then. And I think that naivety actually was the, some of the most beneficial things I, I could have done. I had no business background. I just simply cared about people. So I would say you did a great job. Like you just keep doing what you're doing and taking the action and seeing the result and noticing the result and just keep acting on it. Because hmm, it all adds up to, I mean, it's all that experience that builds you up to where you are today. So if you avoided those mistakes, then, or just those, you know, those meandering paths sometimes, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the perspective you do today. No, not at all. And, and it's not linear. Although when you look back, it kind of is a funny sort of linear path. It's um, just keep at it. Like, and for people who are listening to this, who are starting out, just keep at it, but keep at it with clarity, keep at it with recognizing what's working and what's not working and, and keep doing the stuff that's working and quiet the stuff that's not working and, and have the courage to say no to people and stand up when people are knocking you down or are not helpful or, and, you know, say what needs to be said. And that might end a relationship and that so be it. It might end a relationship, but if there's someone who's not supporting you, then find the people who do give you the support. I think that's, I think that's, what's really important. There's a lot of people who are scared to venture out on their own and, for someone who does venture out on their own, like you, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of persistence and, and just keep going. If you, if it's in your heart, if it's in your soul, go for it because it will, it, if you keep just at it, you'll see the fruits of your labor. And if you just keep at it from the perspective of okay, keep doing what's working and quiet the stuff that's not working and then just keep moving forward, I think you'll, you'll see some really great rewards and it'll be very fulfilling. Thank you, Susie. Can you tell us just to, to wrap things up you know, where people can get in touch with you, but also if there's anything else you want to share about your work and what you're really excited about this year. Well, I'm doing a lot with people who are in burnout and we actually have a, have a new landing page up called the edge of burnout. I used to keep this, that program under the radar. And most of the people who came to see me were on referral only and just happened to find me. And so we're taking an initiative to make this a bit more broader and a bit more out there. So edgeofburnout.com is where people can find that. And then those of people who are teachers or healthcare professionals who want to help those in that state, then they can visit me at functionalsynergy.com. And I've got a, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. And so people can find me there as well and see more about what it is that I'm up to. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And we'll link all of that up in the show notes. So it's really easy for people to get to. So Thank you so much for taking the time today, for getting up early and um, talking to me. <laughs> and, you bet. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to see how your business unfolds. Great. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can find all the links in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you would like to move past burnout, I hope you're not at burnout, but if you'd like to make sure that you can align yourself with the energies of the season to step into flow, to make your life and work just feel a lot better. And specifically this summer to tap into creativity, personal growth, 
joy and pleasure and to bring those into your intentions, infuse them into your life and work. We're starting on June 3rd, Monday, June 3rd, 2019 with Alchemy in Action Summer Edition. I would love to have you join us. You can get in and learn more at amandacook.me slash summer. Okay, have a great week and I'll see you back here next week with the next episode. Thank you.